All right. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all you're doing in our midst. Um, I'm so glad, Father, we're not a church that is fossilizing, but we're the church that wants to evangelize, and we want to see people saved, and we want to be moving, and we want to be in your perfect will. So, Father, give us wisdom as we do these things. We don't want to do them uh, for Calvary Chapel or for Pastor Jim. We want to do them because you are calling us to do that. And so with these buildings, Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment, uh, make your will perfectly clear. Father, I thank you for the missionaries that you allow us to support. I thank you for them, the giving of their lives, Lord. The work of the ministry is a job, and it's a 24-7 job at times. So give them strength and endurance uh, as they are persecuted in Nepal and other countries. We thank you for Pastor Harka. Bless him, encourage him, strengthen him. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the persecution that's coming on the church, even in America. It's going to separate the believers from the wannabes. And Lord, we don't need a bunch of wannabes. We need, we need soldiers for Christ. So Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's a wannabe, we pray, open their eyes, Lord, that they would become a believer this morning. They wouldn't play church. They wouldn't play religion. They wouldn't play games with you, but they would make a firm commitment for your son. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 137, Psalm 137, the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This appears to have been written during the exile years. We don't know the exact date. We don't even know who wrote it. And I wouldn't argue with that, but it was, it was definitely written, as you're going to see, either during the exile years or after. No brainer. And so basically 2,400 to 2,600 years ago, possibly this could have been written. Very, very important because, again, the word of God, as our young adults are hearing, you know, it's archaic, uh, it's chauvinistic, it's this, it's that, there's no value in it. Have you read it? Well, no. Oh, okay, I get it. So we need to make sure that we're reading it so that we can defend it and say, well, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Matter of fact, God loves you and sent his son to die for you. We need to be bold in these days that we're living in. The psalmist is remembering the harshness, the mocking, the humiliation of a fallen kingdom. Remember, they're in Babylon. That they had to endure under the hands of the Babylonians. And, and it might not seem like a big deal, but to have to sing a song about a place that was once a kingdom. And this is what grieves me about America. To sing songs that were once about a great nation under God should grieve you as a believer. In and of itself, to to sing a song about the freedom that you and your, your relatives once had, that, guys, we're seeing. We're seeing come upon Christianity today. That would have been very traumatic. And so as we read these verses, you want to take on the mind of the psalmist. He just wasn't, he just wasn't you know, hey, let's, let's throw a song today. Let's, let's make one up today. The psalmist here is expressing the sorrow of his heart, of having to leave his homeland, to leave the temple. Again, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, 
Zion again. Zion is a location, but it's also the city of Zion, the city of David. It's also the temple mount on Mount Zion. So again, there's no questions about what is being spoken of here. No question whatsoever. When we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. You see, the heaviness was so intense that they had hung up their instruments so that they wouldn't be tempted to play them. You see, in their minds, there was absolutely nothing to sing about. They were once free, and now they are slaves. They were once in their homeland, and now they're in a strange land. They were once a prosperous nation, a common land shared by all 12 tribes. And now the tribes are scattered amongst various nations. You see, there was not a whole lot. When you get that picture, there was not a whole lot to sing about at this point. And as they sat along the banks of the Euphrates River, their minds, their minds went back to the good old days. You know, maybe they had thoughts about the Jordan River, that that cool, clear river that, that feeds the Sea of Galilee, but also lets out and feeds down to the Dead Sea. That beautiful river, maybe they were thinking about that. They, they would think back to the temple and its form of worship that was it was heavy upon their hearts, for now they have no temple. Their captors wanted to hear some of these songs, but they knew the temple was no more. And why? As most of you know, if not, please read your Bibles from Genesis Revelation. It shows America. The ten tribes rebelled. They were wiped off the land, taken to Assyria. The two southern tribes said, well, we've got the temple. The temple, we've got the temple. Nobody's going to mess with us. We've got the dollar bill, and our dollar bill says, in God we trust. Nobody will mess with us. Yet God will mess with us. God's way more powerful than anything upon this earth. And God said, fine, you want to trust in a temple? I'm taking you off the land. Because you are in idolatry. You are worshiping false gods instead of worshiping me. And so it was because of their sin. You see, it would have been too emotionally draining to sing a song of mirth in the land of sorrow. They lost everything, guys. This is hard for you and me to even comprehend, especially us younger people. My dad, being 100, he went through the Depression, then World War II. I mean, he started from the ground up. I have no comprehension of it. And I think most of us in this room probably do not. We have just been blessed abundantly. But they had lost everything, and their enemies wanted them to sing. How can we sing? Not only had they lost their physical possessions, but the last verse of this psalm, look at the very last verse of this psalm. It it might just show us what might have taken place at the hands of the Babylonian army. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. You might think, no, I can't mean that. If you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and you can actually find history that says this, the Germans would walk through the ghettos, and they would actually pick up infants or little children by the feet, and they would smack their head against the sidewalk to kill them. You think, ah, nobody could be that cruel. Yes, 
Yes, humanity can be that cruel. And so we'll get to that verse and talk about that. But you just hear the sorrow of heart here. This is not a happy song. And so there's deep pain in these memories. And, And memories, as we have a slide, memories that anyone would want to forget due to the pain and the anguish of the situation. But you know, sometimes talking it out can help heal the pain and make the memories less intense. And hence, I believe this song was for that generation and the generations to come. You see, for us believers today, we know that forgiveness needs to be extended. It needs to be extended. Even to those who have hurt us or or desire to hurt us even now as Christians, as believers. Let me rephrase that. As believers. There are people who desperately want to hurt us. And as we forgive, the memories are less intense because the enemy now has no foothold in our lives through those memories. The mocking doesn't affect us because we've forgiven them. We've learned how to forgive them. And as Jesus said to Saul, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? And we learn to realize you're persecuting me, but really you're persecuting Jesus. And so I'll pray for you. Because you don't know who you're messing with. Revenge is no longer an option because God will repay all those who mistreat his kids in his timing, not ours. You see, it's such a blessing to have the whole counsel of God so that we might learn from the various people and their situations found within these pages. For even in this situation, we can clearly see That forgiveness is key to the healing of the mind and emotions. As you read this psalm, it's just so clear. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. It has to take place or there will be no eternal healing. Verses 4 through 6. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we do it? Question, but now he makes a statement. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, notice that, O Jerusalem. The Quran does not mention Jerusalem one time. Not one time. For those who want to argue that Jerusalem is, belongs to the Muslims, it does not. Not a foot of it, not an inch of it. David ruled and reigned in 1000 BC, so 3000 years ago, Jerusalem was was under Israeli authority, as it is today and should remain that way. See, for us, again, it, it, as we we just got to let it go. We just got to let it go. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. Now, if your tongue's clinging to the roof of your mouth, it's pretty hard to talk. I can't even do it. It's pretty hard to talk or sing. In other words, don't let me speak at all. If I forget Jerusalem, I don't need to talk. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. You see, the temple was that place of worship. It was there that the joyous songs of the Lord were to be sung. Not in a foreign land. Where the inhabitants mocked and ridiculed the one true God. It it just didn't seem right. And also, as you think of the Psalms, the Psalms were also key or instrumental in teaching of God's word, as we learned, remember, through Psalm 119. 
The children could learn about God and his ways through these various songs. The psalms were also a way of expressing joy or sorrow. And at this point, the thought of singing joyously just brought on even more sorrow. How can I do it? And even though they had memories that caused them pain and anguish, they also had memories of being drawn closer to God. As we think about the temple, again, since the temple was located in Jerusalem, the one and only temple, not the third holiest site, the only temple, that's central to worship for the Jewish people, there, there were memories of God's power and grace. God's power and grace. Now again, you want to think about this. Why think about God's power and grace? Because... <laughs> You're a slave in a foreign land and you can't worship at your temple. Your temple's been totally destroyed. You see, the temple expressed both power and grace. The white limestone of the temple glistened in the sun. The ornate decorations of gold and silver would certainly draw the eye. You see, the temple represented the God of Israel, the only true God of the universe. And in most cultures, the buildings dedicated to the gods, little g, to the gods of the culture, were and are magnificent. There's no question, even to this day, there are some magnificent temples or buildings offered up in the name of God, little g. You see, they are to show that their God is big, really big. And the temple that Solomon built was built with the same intent. It was big, it was beautiful, it was ornate, it was a dwelling place of God and represented his powerful presence in the nation. And that was a wonderful memory that they never wanted to forget. Again, notice at the end of verse 6 there, if I do not exalt Jerusalem, and what was in Jerusalem? The temple. If I do not exalt the temple above my chief joy. But the altar within the temple showed God's grace. The altar was there, was where the various sacrifices were to be offered to make atonement for the sins of the people. And I want to encourage you guys, uh, this past Sunday, as I went, as I left church, um, I looked at the agape boxes, and there were no, there were no daily reading schedules. Praise God! So we refilled them. So if you didn't get one last week, get one this week, and read from Genesis to Revelation. And as you're doing your reading today in Leviticus, you're going to be reading about all the sacrifices and and how they were supposed to be done, and who was supposed to do them. Very methodical. God is very, very organized. Thank God we don't have to go down that road. But it's there for you to learn. It's there for me to learn. So we need to read from Genesis to Revelation. The sights, the sounds, the smells coming from the altar would have left a very memorable impression upon anyone. You see, it was a place of live animals being sacrificed so that forgiveness would be extended. Think about that. It was a place of live animals, bulls, goats, lambs, doves, pigeons. They went in alive and they were sacrificed on the altar in the temple area to cover people's sins. And in our culture today, animal sacrifice sounds so cruel. It would not be put up with here in America. But it was a picture. Here's the whole situation as you read your Bible. It was a picture of a future event. A future sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. 
You see, as believers, the power of God is not symbolized by a magnificent building, but by something very cruel and inhumane. So repulsive that those within Roman society would not even talk about it at social gatherings. And what is that? The cross. The cross. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. You see, we can obviously see the grace of God through the cross. Galatians, Colossians chapter 1. And if you're new or visiting and you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the chair in front of you. Just look down, you'll see them. Please get used to your Bible. And we had a discussion the other day about... Uh, <clears throat> and you might want to put your feet under your chair so I don't step on your toes about getting back to paper Bibles. And just so you know, so that nobody gets upset, uh, basically we ask everyone on this campus uh, in the grades in junior high and high school to have a paper Bible. We frown upon phones because we know what can happen with phones. They're very, very distracting. And don't think that you're kidding anybody in here as I've had people tell me, did you, did you see so-and-so on their phone? They were actually checking the sports I'm like, no, I didn't see it, and I really don't care. If that's what they want to do, they're an adult. That's their privilege. But guys, we're here for 45 minutes to study the Word of God. So make sure that you're focused, because I know on me, if, if, if I would be totally distracted. With a paper Bible, it's hard to get distracted. And who knows what might happen in the future. Don't think that they can't switch your phone off today. <laughs> they can switch your phone off in a hurry. And then you'll be scrambling about, what? where's my Bible? What, what, what chapter was that in? Colossians chapter 1, verses 19. For it pleased the Father, this is God, that in Him, capital H there, that means Jesus, His Son, His one and only Son, all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of what? The fullness of the Godhead. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. I mean, Jesus even said that. Why do you say, show me the Father? Have I been with you and you still you don't know who the Father is? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not that they're identical twins. Jesus just has all the attributes of the Father because he is God. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him. What are the all things? All of humanity. What are we getting up to? 7.4 billion people? God reconciled those 7.4 7, 7. billion people to himself. Does that mean they're all forgiven? Yes, they're all forgiven. Does that mean they're all going to heaven? No. If they haven't appropriated that forgiveness, if they haven't said, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I need a Savior, and Jesus is His name, I accept Jesus as my Savior, then they're not going to heaven. So if you're here this morning, don't think because you know the name of Jesus, you're going to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Who would the you there be? Anybody want to raise their hand on that? It's you. Feel free. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Mine's up. Am I the only sinner in this area? I'm trying to help you not to fall asleep. If I get you to do something every now and then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's me. Yeah, yeah. What am I raising my hand for? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now he has reconciled. Jesus did it, not you. And in the body of his flesh through death 
to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, as a believer, the second you became a believer, a man came in Monday to my office and he we had a discussion. He said, I want to receive Jesus at the end of the discussion. He prayed to receive Jesus as a Savior. He is now St. Mike. Sounds weird, doesn't it? St. Mike. So let's all practice this. Wake up and let's all practice this. On the count of three, say saint and then say your name. No, I can't do that. You don't know me. Well, maybe I don't. Did you just hear what the Bible said? I don't care what you say. I care what the Bible says. You're a saint. Maybe you need to act more like it, but you're still a saint. So on the count of three, just say saint in your name. You ready? One, two, three. Saint Jim. Isn't that weird? Man. But it's reality. How about Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. You see, that's very, very important because I was born and raised in a church where saints had to, people had to die. And then the church had to recognize them as saints. And they had to do, I think it's three verifiable miracles and they had to live in poverty and they, they basically had to do these various things. And then after hundreds and hundreds of years, once the church molded over and, and said, you know what, I think they qualify as a saint, they would then canonize them and make them a saint. Is that scriptural? Not at all. But when you're born and raised in that, that's what you think happens, and that's the way you think the Bible's... Well, it must be in the Bible. That's what we do as a church. Our church can't be wrong, can it? Uh, yeah, it can be. And so you think, man, I just got to work harder. I just got to do more. I got to pray more. I got to sacrifice more. I got to get God to love me. I want to be a saint someday. Receive Jesus. You'll be a saint today. Give it a rest. Hebrews 10. Under the old covenant... The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day. And you'll see that in today's reading. Offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Notice that. I believe Paul wrote this. Whoever wrote it, the Holy Spirit inspired. But I believe Paul wrote it, and Paul knew all about the temple. He was a Pharisee. He was very, very, very familiar with sacrifices. He had the first five books of the Bible memorized. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Do you see that? And maybe you have to debug the program. Because again, I was raised as a Roman Catholic. And at every Mass, I'm not bashing Roman Catholics. This is just facts. Be mature enough to talk about facts. There's a lot of people today that just get emotional. And they don't want to hear facts. Don't confuse me with the facts. I just want to live on my emotions. No, no. Facts. Every Mass, Jesus is sacrificed anew. At every single Mass, He is re-crucified. At every single Mass. What does the Catholic Bible say? Because they have the same New Testament as we have. Do Catholics read it? Unfortunately, they don't. I happen to because I got saved first, which then caused me to want to read it, the Holy Spirit. Good for all time. That then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. Might be different than yours. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, that would be the cross. 
He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Notice that. You're holy. You're perfect. But we have to, you know, well, I'm, not, I'm not the saint I should be. Great. I, none of us are. We'll get through some scriptures on that. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is new covenant. And I will make my with my people on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. And I will write them on their minds. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I used to steal. I used to do bad things. And when I received Jesus as my Savior, and I started reading the Bible, all of a sudden those bad things that I used to do just fell away because it was like, well, I'm a Christian now, and I can see in God's Word I shouldn't do that. Not only am I hurting somebody else, but I'm not representing Christ. And so where was the law? It wasn't external. Thou shalt not steal. It was internal. God transforms the heart. And now you no longer want to do those things. So maybe you just need to surrender more of your life to people. If you're struggling with an addiction, as I say to our oldest son on a regular basis, would you get addicted to Jesus? Just do us all a favor and get addicted to Jesus. If you're struggling with addictions, get addicted to Jesus. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Praise God. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. End of story. Praise God. Let us never forget the cross and all that it has accomplished in our lives. You see, to Paul, the cross became a main symbol for his life. And it was the cross that burned into his memory bank. Just going to throw this up here. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. This is what he says in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If somebody comes to your door and wants to argue religion, take them to Jesus. Just take them to the Jesus of the Bible. I don't need to go and offer sacrifices every Sunday or Saturday or every day of the week. I don't need to get baptized for my relatives. They either knew Jesus or they didn't. Can't save them after the fact. That's what my Bible says. And you carry a Bible in your backpack. I know you do. Get that Bible out. Let's talk about it. Take them to the Word of God, guys. In Psalm 138, 7 through 9, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the days of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and some would actually say Esau himself. Jacob's brother. They should have known better than to treat their relatives the way they did. You see, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were heading to the promised land, the Edomites would not allow them to cross through their territory. Matter of fact, their army came out and said, you will not cross through our land. We don't like you. We're relatives, but we don't like you. They were more than happy about the destruction of their relatives. But the prophets spoke of Edom and Babylon and that they would be judged by God. So since the psalmist knew that, why not have that judgment now? 
And as you have an issue with maybe your supervisor or a relative or a friend or a mate or something else, why not have that judgment now? Well, it's all about God's timing. God's timing is perfect. Nobody's getting anything past God. You see, Babylon was judged for its harsh treatment of the Israelites. And it appears that Herod Antipas, whom Jesus stood before the same day of his crucifixion, was the last Edomite. Interesting. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You know, as we have done many times, there was an Old Testament saint lifting up his prayer. Should that be the prayer of a New Testament saint? Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus speaking to his disciples. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Now, who would Jesus be talking about right now? The Romans. The Romans. Love the Romans? Are you kidding me? You want me to love the Romans? You want me to love the Democrats? Are you kidding me? You want me to love the Republicans, the Independents? Are you kidding me? You want me to love these women senators? Are you serious? Uh, well, according to God's word, he's very serious. Yes. Because without Jesus, they're only going to rule and reign for a few short years. They need Jesus. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your father in heaven. Notice that. We represent God. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? That was a little cut right there. That was a little dig. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Matthew, probably looking right at Matthew. (laughs) What's the big deal? Therefore, you shall be perfect. Now, this is not sinless. When we hear perfect, sometimes, especially in the Bible, we think, well, I can never sin. No, no, this just means sinless. Sinless. Grow in your sainthood. Not so that you can earn your salvation, because you can't. Get that off the table. Mature past that. We just want to be more like Jesus. So how can I sin less? By by maybe not drinking. By maybe not smoking. By maybe not watching certain things. By not hanging around certain people. By not reading certain things. And you become sin less. You become more holy. Again, not for salvation. Therefore, you shall be perfect. And if you look up that word perfect, it means complete, mature. That you might mature. Just as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Let's look at Psalm 138. A Psalm of David. So now we know this was written roughly 3,000 years ago. I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods. Little g. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name. For your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Interesting, Psalm 137 and 138, the contrast. Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. 138, joy, joy, joy. I don't think as they compiled these psalms, that was by accident. It's not by accident. The Holy Spirit purposely did that. 
In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with the strength of my soul. This was probably written when David was used by God to lift Israel above the surrounding nations when the 12 tribes became united after seven years of being king. And David was used by God to write various portions of scriptures, but there are already scriptures written that David relied upon. And remember the king, remember this? The king was supposed to write the word of God every day, and he was supposed to complete all of the writing, the Torah, so that his mind would stay focused on it. You see, he relied upon them because he knew that God would keep his promise. And God's promises are found throughout his word. So that's for you and me today as well, from Genesis to Revelation. God's promises. But how can we live them if we don't have them in our head? And as we see in our society today, if you use the, misuse the name of Allah, which is easy to do in a radical's mind, certain people will go crazy and do very crazy things. You see, their focus is on defending the name of their God, little g. You see, our God doesn't need to be defended. He could take care of himself quite well. But his word, this book that you and I hold in our laps this morning, it needs to be defended, not apologized for. Make that clear. We don't apologize for the word of God. But we should know it well enough where we can defend its truths. That you don't have to work to be saved. Do you know an exact verse when that person knocks on your door who's trying to work their way to heaven, can you take them to Ephesians 8 and 9? Ephesians 8 and 9. Let's look at Ephesians 8 and 9 because you're here trying to work at your salvation. Can you do that? You should be able to do that. Memorize it. You see, for God had caused David to cling to his word, to hold on to its promises no matter what was happening externally. Guys, are any of us having any problems here externally in our lives? I'm going to have some problems probably this coming weekend because I have to go and be with my family who are all heathens. And they know I'm a Jesus freak and they don't want, you know, I'm just a 58-year-old baby because I'm the baby of the family. What do you know? That's just reality. i got to love them, got to plant those seeds. Hopefully they'll come to know Jesus. So we all have external problems. In one way or another, what do we need to go to? The word of God, the word of God, trust in the word of God. Verses 4 through 6, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Notice that, when they hear the words of your mouth. In other words, when they hear the word, the word of God. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Notice in verse 2 there, for you have magnified your word above your name. How is a president going to come to know Jesus? Through the word of God. Not through petitions, protest, or power from someone but only through the word of God because God has magnified his word even above his name because the word speaks of his name. It speaks all of him, all about him. And David had learned that. So he says, yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. They're singing about the word of God, which the Psalms are, right? They're songs. For great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. Who would the lowly be? Feel free to raise your hand. That's you and me. That's you and me, guys. Think about that this week, that God actually regards you. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants that prayer time with you. It's amazing, but he does. 
And no one will be proud in that day, for they will have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords present to compare themselves to, and no one will ever be able to compare to his glory when Jesus comes to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Every nation, every nation will come and bow before the throne. Verses 7 and 8, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Do you notice that? That's a promise. That's a promise. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. And the right hand is symbolic of strength. Your strength will save me. The Lord will perfect. Again, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hand. We got a few slides here because we find something interesting there. The Lord will perfect. And you heard me mention about work. Well, here's some slides. Be confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist made this very important point. He must increase. I must decrease. Guys, don't ever forget that. He must increase. Because religion will teach you that you need to decrease and then God will increase. If you just pray more, If you just read scriptures more, if you just knock on doors more, pass out pamphlets, give more money, then God's going to love you because you are just so right on. Unscriptural. He must increase. So if you're having problems in your life, I'm going to ask you just very simple questions like I always do. Are you reading your Bible? Are you allowing the word of God to get into your brain so something might increase and transform your heart? Because this is the problem. I have a desperately wicked heart. So how can I decrease? By getting the word of God in my brain, so now the Holy Spirit has something to work with down here in my soul. Having that prayer time, having that prayer time is going to transform your life. In Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's look at Hebrews as we leave this up. I'm, I'm sorry, let's look at Philippians 2. Let's leave Hebrews up there. Philippians, go back into your New Testament. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or I mean Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Philippians chapter 2, looking unto Jesus, not looking unto the pastor, not looking unto Calvary Chapel, looking unto Jesus, the author who gave you the faith to receive his son, God. You didn't have that. That's a gift of God, it tells us. So who's going to finish your faith? The Holy Spirit. Philippians 2, notice, Therefore, my beloved, as you have already obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you might have a uh, a cult, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Muslim, say, see right there, in your own Bible, it tells you to work out your own salvation. And you have to be just wise enough and calm enough to say, well, you know what? Look up that word work in the Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar. All these books are available to you. And that word work means to render, to fashion, to render fit. It means to fashion, to render fit. To render, make it fit. How do I do that? Just read your Bible. What does the next verse say? For it is in God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. It's that image of the the potter and the wheel. Get on the wheel. Get on the wheel. 
And as God's spinning the wheel, and sometimes you feel like your life is being spinning out of control, God's got his hands on you. He knows how to mold you and shape you. Or we can get off the wheel, or we can flail while we're on the wheel. No, just get on the wheel and rest. Rest. God wants to do a work in your life. You see, God is willing to do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. We just need to do what David did throughout his life. Surrender our will to our Creator. That's the bottom line. Father, we thank you and praise you that we see over and over again if you're in your word that if we if we truly do surrender, you're always there. You're never there to beat us up. You're never there to slap us upside the head. You're never there to condemn us. You're always there via your Holy Spirit to conform us into the image of your one and only Son. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of all comfort, according to your word. And that you are the God of discipline, that you chasten those whom you love. And, and your chastening is not punishment. Your chastening is for maturing purposes, that we might become that ambassador for Christ that you desire us to be. That whoever might accuse us, falsely accuse us, we can just stand firm and, and trust in your word and trust in your Holy Spirit that you know the truth no matter what man or woman may say about us. Father, I pray for all of us in this room that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. You, your Holy Spirit, must increase in our lives that our flesh might decrease. It's not in my power. It's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that my life will decrease, my flesh will decrease. Crucify my flesh, Father, as Paul clearly stated. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know Jesus as their Savior. They are marching towards eternity. And eternity (laughs) is everyone's final destiny. You sent your Son to make it perfectly clear there is a heaven and there is a hell. I would never argue with you, God. You live in eternity. And so I pray for everyone in this room or anyone in this room that would dare to argue that they would realize you love them. You sent their son to die for them. Why would you argue about that? Why would you deny that? Why would you not want that? So I I pray, Father, that anyone in this room that would like to receive Jesus today, that they will come up after this service and they will allow us to pray with them to seal their eternal destiny with you in heaven so that all of their relatives, when they leave, that all of their relatives, whether it's at the memorial or prior to, but that all of their relatives will know they had Jesus in their life. I know they're in heaven because that's what the Bible says. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand, guys. Please, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, please come up after the service. We're not going to do anything crazy or weird. We're just going to pray with you to receive Jesus. It's your eternity, guys, not mine. Make sure you know where you're going. As a couple in our church shared this morning, 
um, their 26-year-old grandson uh, went to sit down, uh, fell asleep on the sofa and didn't wake up this past week. So those of you who are young, well, I got plenty of time. 26 years old, he didn't wake up. Don't play with God, guys. He loves you. Send Jesus. Accept Jesus today. God bless you. Sing it out. Your name. Your name is Victor. Your name. Your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name. Your name. Your name. Victory, all praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name, your name is victory. All